Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders that he has done. Those are verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 78, which the first 39 verses of which are appointed as the psalm for today, Tuesday, September the 21st, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at uh, the life of Elisha in 2 Kings 5, verses 19 to 27, which are the follow-on to the story from yesterday, the story of Naaman the Syrian and his healing of leprosy by the prophet. We're also continuing in 1 Corinthians with um, chapter 5, the first eight verses, and in the gospel, according to Matthew, um, chapter 5 still, and verses 27 to 37, following on from yesterday's lesson. So, what have we got here? We're, we're looking at, remember yesterday, Naaman the Syrian had come, and he, had been a, he was favored by the Lord, and Syria had won a battle simply because he had been favored by the Lord, and so then, but the problem was he had leprosy. And so a servant girl suggested that he should go to the prophet in Samaria, which is northern kingdom of Israel, and see the prophet there, and he would heal him of his leprosy, and sure enough, he did. And so in, in addition to being healed of leprosy, he was healed from his spiritual defect, which is that he believed in an idol, and he worshipped an idol, and he turned from worshipping the idol to worshipping Yahweh because of the healing, because of the power of God that was displayed through the prophet. <laughs> so here we go, now finishing that story. Remember what he had said was, hey, can I get a special dispensation that when I go into the house of the Syrian God, that, that when, when I go in, I have to support the king physically, and when he bows, I have to bow too. I'm not worshiping, I'm just bowing because it's what I have to do. And Elisha said, go on, go in peace. So he does. And, and remember, he tried to give Elisha some money and some gifts in order to thank him for what he had done. And Elisha said, I didn't do anything, essentially. God did it, not me. And so he, didn't, he refused to take it. But then he goes a short distance away in Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. He wouldn't take the gift. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. So he's conspiring to go and make himself, enrich himself over this. And he will get something from Naaman. He will indeed. So Gehazi followed Naaman. for Elisha. This is for these two guys who have come from the hill country of Ephraim. And Naaman said, oh, yeah, sure. Because what he asked for was a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. He's going to be magnanimous about this. I mean, he's been healed of leprosy. He's been made whole, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And so he says, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, 
he, Gehazi, he took them from their hand and brought and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where you been, Gehazi? And Gehazi said, I haven't been anywhere. Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? I knew that. I'm a prophet. <laughs> Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Was that really what this was about? Was it enriching ourselves? God did the work. All I did was tell him to go wash in the Jordan. But you went out and decided this was a time when, when he was vulnerable and he would give us things and we would get lovely parting gifts. And, and you went on your own. And did that, Gehazi. He said, therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. So he wanted to go get something from him. And sure enough, he did. He got leprosy. And he brought it back. And as I said yesterday, there is complete agreement in Judaism about what leprosy is. And it has nothing whatever to do with Hansen's disease, what we currently know as leprosy. And, and what I said yesterday was it's a spiritual disease with a physical manifestation. And so that's exactly what's going on, is, is the greed of Gehazi manifests itself now in this leprosy, similar to what Miriam had. And what did Miriam want? Miriam wanted to be great. She wanted to be as great as Moses. What, who are you? You know, hey, I'm the one who saved your bacon when you were thrown into the Nile as a little boy. You don't know that, but I'm the one who did it. And, and so why are you getting all the acclaim? And here Gehazi's decided, no, 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 this is about something else. It's about money. It's about getting something. And Elisha's response is, this is not about us getting something at all. It's about God getting glory. And he did. So Gehazi really messed this one up. And you can just see this happening. You can see it happening again and again. The greed in the church is absolutely unbelievable. The things that, that people have determined that they need and the, the way that they get the congregation to give them enormous sums of money to to continue to bless their lifestyle rather than blessing the church. And, and that's one of the big things Paul was talking about. He said, hey, you guys are rich. I'm working my hands out here. I'm doing everything I can just to be able to preach the gospel. And, and you guys are becoming wealthy over this. And and that was his criticism of the super apostles and the others who come and and follow after Paul, who's doing it for no gain at all. He's only doing it to glorify God and because he wants to see the power of God at work. And so here, that's what Elisha wants as well. He's not interested in, in gaining from that work. And so then over in the um, gospel, we're continuing to look at Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount. And as I told you yesterday, he's going to go through some of the commandments here, and he's going to point out that whatever you think these things are, murder, he says, can be things like insults and hatred and anger. And here he goes on to talk about adultery. You've heard it said you don't commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. He says, you got to understand the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is not just, hey, as long as you don't uh, physically consummate that idea that you have, then then you've not committed adultery. He said, no, 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 no. It's just looking at a woman with lust. You know, that that's worse in our day <laughs> than it was back then. I mean, the, the number of people who are addicted to pornography in the church is absolutely phenomenal. And it's a it's seriously a problem. We, we, we've got to 
get this under control. We we have a serious problem in the church. I can remember when we were at Pauly's Island that that another pastor was going to start a Celebrate Recovery group specifically for guys with um, pornography problems. We had a, um, a men's Bible study at the church at that time that, that attracted people from a multitude of churches in the area, let's say. And so it was taught by another one of our clergy, and, and I was good friends with the, with the other guy. And so suddenly, in a staff meeting, our clergy guy asked me, he said, John, you have any idea why a lot of people suddenly stopped coming to the, to the Friday Bible study? Did I say something theologically offensive or whatever? Could you find out for me? I'd like to know so that I could at least, you know, have a conversation about it. And so I, I happened to be driving out that Friday morning, the, the, the same week. On Friday morning, I happened to be going out and going to the hospital down in Georgetown, South Carolina, and passed that other church and saw a bunch of cars outside— and got to thinking about it, and, and so I called the pastor later that day, and I said, hey, did you start that Celebrate Recovery group on Friday mornings? He said, I did. I said, you have a huge crowd. He said, yeah, John, it's enormous. He said, and I'm positive that's that's only a fraction of the people that could be there. So I had to go back and tell the other pastor, not the details, but I had to tell him, don't worry about it. They're where they need to be on Friday mornings. But it, it's it's something that we've got to come to grips with, and we need to be better as men about this and objectifying women in that way, because it diminishes the women as well. It's not just diminishing us. It diminishes the women, but it also diminishes the the women in our lives. And he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If it's better that you lose one of your members, that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I don't want to get into that, but but the reality is is that how many of us would, would have limbs left and eyes and all that kind of stuff? I mean, the only possible solution might be a lobotomy because we are wired in such a way that, that we will indeed look at members of the opposite sex. Most of the time, it's that's what it is. It's, hopefully, that's who I'm speaking to. And we will we'll check them out. And Jesus says that's wrong. And in fact, if that's your problem, then then you would be better off going into heaven uh, blind and lame than than not dealing with it. And it's what he's saying is deal seriously with sin in your life because it's a serious matter. It can cost you everything. He says, better you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And then he goes on and follows up with that. It's also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's exactly what Moses gave as the way of divorcing. And he says in another place that he gave you that for the hardness of your heart. It wasn't God's intention. God's intention was that, that a man and woman would get married and, and they would cleave to one another. They would they would then become one flesh. And so Jesus says here, I say anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You know, if you could find anything in our society today that we just never think about, that would be it right there, right? And and one of the other things that I always want to say about this is that's not a commandment to divorce your spouse because they commit adultery. I mean, the, the book of Hosea, it tells us exactly the opposite of that. We're supposed to even then be filled with grace and mercy. And so it's not a commandment that you have to get divorced if there's sexual immorality, but Jesus says that's the only excuse for doing this. And, and if it's for any other reason, you're an adulterer and so is the other. I mean, we've compounded the problem of sin by doing that. And we, again, we just make light work of sin, brush it off like it's nothing at all. And we don't do discipline in the church, right? 
I mean, we don't. And, and we don't spend enough time trying to get people to reconcile. And, and I've just got too many stories about that one that I, that I can't even go into all of them. So anyway, he says, again, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's footstool, for by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king, and he's the great king, not David. And don't take an oath on your head, for you don't have any control over that. You can't make a hair white or black. Just let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Just be a person of your word. Don't take these oaths and swear vows by by things that you don't have any control over, and, and you're diminishing the throne of God, or by the earth, it's the footstool of God, or by the city of Jerusalem, because it's his city. So stop. Just be people of your word. Don't take oaths and vows. And that's the reason that Mennonites and other Anabaptists won't swear allegiance don't they don't vote they don't serve on juries they don't do any of those things and it's for that reason because they don't take oaths and vows and they don't bow before earthly kings in the first corinthians passage paul is talking about church discipline that's all this is about it's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife don't think he's speaking about the man's mother here by the way he he has suddenly begun to to sleep with his father's wife and you're arrogant he says remember he said that yesterday and you were arrogant this is going on among you and you're arrogant you're getting up in my face you're acting like you're somebody and you're allowing this kind of sin ought you not rather to mourn let him who has done this be removed from among you for though absent in body, I'm present in spirit and as if present I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Church discipline, he says, is for that guy's benefit that you're going to do that because you can't keep pretending that he is good to go. You need to get rid of him. You need to make him aware of this sin and how heinous it is. As long as you continue and we continue to tolerate sin in the church, then, then people are deceived into believing that they're good to go and they don't have to deal with these things. They're, they're not confronted with any of these sins. It's not that all these sins are unforgivable, but they are sin and they are serious sin to God. And your eternal salvation is at risk because you're failing to repent, but it's not completely your fault because the church isn't even calling you to repent. We don't even care about sin anymore in certain places. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, a little bit of sin tolerated like this, it's going to mess up the whole place, and, and it has. And it's what we've done in the church. We've tolerated this sin and that sin, and we just allowed these things to grow. And we're no longer scandalized by sin. We just tolerate, oh, okay, that couple over there, well, yeah, they're living together outside of marriage, but it's okay. We'll go ahead and allow them to have communion. And, and oh, by the way, you know what? He's, he's a pretty wealthy guy. Maybe we ought to ask him to serve on the leadership council. 
or you know any of those kinds of things. We, we don't look askance at, at divorce, even when they're going through divorce. We allow people to continue to hold leadership positions and other positions in the church, and we don't discipline them. I mean, I've seen it a thousand times, even in good churches. We just, we're remiss in this thing, and, and I'm constant. I've been told twice in a great church, I was told, well, we can't do that because it's just he said, she said. And the first time it was like, no, it's not he said, she said. I know this for a fact. There's a court filing that we're talking about. And in the second case, there were pictures. But we can't discipline these people. No, 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 because that, that'll look bad, and other people might leave, and they might leave. And yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, Paul wasn't worried about that at all. He was more worried about the person and the danger that they stood in as far as they had unrepentant sin in their life. But the church has got to actually care. He's got to point out that sin. We had to do that here in the church in, in Asheville, when I was pastoring that church, we had to confront a guy one time and tell him he couldn't come to communion anymore because of something he was doing that he didn't really see as all that bad. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but but it was not good at all. And, and he left, ended up leaving the church. And I hated that, but the church has standards, and we are standing in the shoes of God in this thing. There's a deep responsibility that the church has to impose discipline on its members, to hold standards and the standards are God's word, period, end of sentence. They're, they're based in that. If you've got other standards that are extra biblical, that's a different issue. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about only those standards that are biblical, the standards of sin. And if we can't stand in those things, then we're not properly a church. And Paul would have serious issues. He would speak to us in the same way that he speaks to the Corinthian church here. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So in all these lessons today, Jesus says it, Elisha does it, and Paul says it. we got to deal with sin. we got to deal straight up and honestly with sin. We've got people—people have to recognize the consequences of sin and the the eternal significance of, of repentance and being right with him. And so let's be ruthless about sin in our own lives, that we not have to deal with it before others, and that we not have to be confronted by others about sin. Let us commit ourselves to following him and, and being in our sin in our own lives.